you know, you, you can, but, but it's true. I mean, in, in, the, in the history of the world, there have been people who have tried to make memorization a part of their, their educational you know, paradigm. And that's great. But then they, they do it in a way that is just mind numbing and just, you know, painful. This week on the Play Ed podcast, we explore Outmatch, the fast paced history card game from the Institute for Excellence in Writing. Welcome to the Play Ed Podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And we're here today to explore cultivating connections through play. So, we have another exciting uh, interview to do today. Yes, yes we do. And it was a fantastic one. We're very excited to share it with you. And to give it a little bit of context, we're going to talk about a game called Outmatched. And it's produced and sold by the Institute for Excellence in Writing, IEW. And some of our listeners may know IEW, some may not. Um, And fortunately, when we uh, talked with them about this game, which we love and we love playing... um, they uh, they were very kind enough to give us kind of an overview and so forth. Mm-hmm. But to tell you about the game that we're talking about today, it's called Outmatched. It is a fast-paced memory card game. Um, it is very easy to learn. And they currently sell two versions. One based around ancient history and a second based on medieval history. So if these are areas of history that you are studying, this is a game that can be integrated into a classroom. It can be a fun way to uh, drill um, facts about a number of different periods and places in history. And In some ways, it's what flashcards always should have been. Yes. Well, it takes the idea of the flashcard and the use of repetition in building memory, but it creates a game structure where... There's more to remembering it than simply, yay, I might pass the test. That's true. And it's fun watching our kids get, get really excited about it as they make the connections. And, and um, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun. And as we mentioned, it plays very, very quickly. So you can get a lot of hands in, even in a very, very brief space of time. Um, the Ancient History set comes with, is it eight decks? Eight decks. Eight decks, each with a different theme. And so it's kind of like the, the gameplay is the same regardless of the deck, and you don't mix the decks. Um, so you're just trying to do matching within a given deck. So you've got the same basic gameplay, but eight different sets of information that you're working with. Can you run through just really quickly what the the subjects are the certainly certainly so there are two different decks around rome one is rome generally and the other is rome fall of the republic there is ancient greece there is ancient greece archaic and classical and there is the greco-roman world there's ancient egypt lion of judah which includes the history of israel and judah and there's mesopotamia Mesopotamia one was challenging. Very challenging. I remember we we 
gave that one a stab right after we got this. And it, we, we were watching a, a, a lecture series on Mesopotamia at the time. And I was still only getting maybe a third mm-hmm. of the connections. So it served as an opportunity to help instruct me. And then I could use that to... to and from there, recognize the where the gaps in our own education yeah. were. And because the game is faced around the memorization and connection of various historical facts, they are in some ways the most essential to remember, just as remembering, you know, 1492 is the voyage of Columbus or 1066 is the invasion of the Normans. This is the same idea of knowing those significant dates, significant people, significant places in the ancient world. So that there's a framework to hang all the other stuff on, like daily life in or um why did things happen causality within historical events mm-hmm. uh, it, because when you don't have that you inevitably end up with what i have uh, which is what i call romans versus indians which is the kind of gameplay when you hand children a bunch of historically themed toys but they end up kind of jumbled with no sense of this culture is separated by 1000 years from this other culture and so knowing that for example egypt has a history that spans millennia and that the egypt of the pyramids is very different from the egypt of Of the ptolemies and cleopatra yes um who were themselves macedonians in origin Mm -hmm. and so learning those facts that you can readily recall them begins with drill but drill does not have to be boring and that's at the heart of this game is how do you do memory work in a way that it doesn't seem like you're doing memory work so Outmatched is an answer to that question as regards certain historical facts. And as we've said, it's easy to learn, it's fast playing, uh, and it's very well supported by IEW, which also has a wealth of other resources for reading and writing and speaking and uh, developing communication skills uh, Mm -hmm. in children and adults. Yes, so I am going to have some excellent goodies in the show notes. They, I, there is a link to a how to play video that goes into everything that you're going to find in an outmatched box, as well as how to play the game. I consider that an essential starting point. Um, I also have a link to an article uh, written by the uh, developer of the game uh, behind, with some of the underlying uh principles underneath why the game was developed and what's at the heart of it and it was originally if i remember correctly it was originally developed for use in a classroom yes and it's now kind of made available to homeschoolers after schoolers concerned parents but it's perfectly serviceable now for use in a classroom yes so depending on kind of what your situation is or the context in which you are playing games uh, with friends, with kids, etc., then there's an opportunity for Outmatched to play a role in your gameplay over the next several months or years. Mm -hmm. So with that, I will go ahead and cue up the interview so that you can hear more about Outmatched. From the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh Uh-huh. And we will see you on the other side. Have a good one and enjoy the interview as we did. So why don't you introduce Nathan to the show? Okay. And 
um, we can just kind of take it from there as we get into outmatched ancient history specifically. Excellent. Okay, so to give you the very brief overview, I'm Laura, he's Chris. We're married, we're homeschooling parents, we've got six children uh, between the ages of five and 16. Um, and we have been... I discovered IEW 10 years ago and fell in love with the structure and style method and a lot of the ancillary materials. And so when the Outmatched game came out, we were already receiving the catalog and everything. It was like, oh, oh, this is so in our wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And it was right in time for us starting with uh, the ancient world. We did an intensive on Egypt a couple of years ago. We did an intensive on Greece last year. We're doing an intensive on Rome right now. Um, the, 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 the travails of the, of the Hebrews get kind of stitched up in there as, as happens. Um, and so that's just kind of the milieu in our own homeschooling household. And as far as our podcast goes, because part of what we do with our homeschooling is that along with, uh, using curriculum materials like IEW, like some of the teaching company, um, lecture series, uh, as appropriate, any math curriculum, all that. We also integrate a lot of games because we find that in terms of reinforcing material and then helping to teach all kinds of concepts that you can't teach in a lecture, like right. thinking, scarce resources, social interaction. That's where games have a, a, a place to play. Um, and so as we started our podcast, we wanted to create it as a place to encourage parents to play games with their children, see it not just as a pastime and a refreshment, which it is, uh, but also as something that can be an essential and effective part of education, that it, it can play a real role and should be integrated into um, schooling, whether it's enrichment for um, after school or as part of a homeschool life. Yeah, for sure. I've, uh, I've called game playing games, board games in particular, but role-playing games, card games, just that whole panoply of, of physical games. I've called that stealth homeschooling for years. And it's something that I love. E even, even friends of ours who have their kids in, in institutional schools, it's like, you know, you can do this too. Just, you know, get the deck of cards, get the board games, sit down and spend a few hours on the weekend playing with them. Even if it's, you know, once every couple of weeks, once a month, it makes a huge difference. It's kind of like um, Sarah McKenzie's just five minutes. You read your kids five minutes, build up to six, build up to 10 kind of a thing. It's right. those little things that, and so that's kind of what led us to take this to a podcast and say, okay, let's go beyond just our circle of friends and the people who right. you know can't escape me during uh, uh, Sunday coffee after church. <laughs> and I, I can, you know, harangue people through the, through the magic of the internet. Mm-hmm. So to orient our listeners to who you are and, uh, and the game and IEW, um, could you briefly tell us who you are, who the, uh, what the Institute for Excellence in Writing is, and uh, just a little bit about how you got involved in uh, putting together Outmatch for them? Absolutely. So um, my name's Nathan King, and um, I've been working for the Institute for Excellence in Writing since... December 21st, 2016. And so oh, wow. it's a little over, now, not terribly long, about two and a half years. Um, prior to that, I was a youth minister uh, and I did that for about 13 years. And then uh, we, we moved down to Tulsa and uh, there's, a, there's a whole story with that, which I, I won't go into right now, but uh, <laughs> we, we went down to Tulsa and, and have uh, been working with Andrew Pudua 
and um, Chief Marketing Officer uh, Julie Walker is is my uh, direct supervisor. Okay. And so I, I work with her a lot, and um, she knew that I really enjoyed games. I apologize. What was your question again? <laughs> you said, who, what, uh, who am I? And what, what, but, oh. Yeah, what, uh, as far as the Institute for Excellence in Writing is, because we've got a whole range of people from people who are mostly game people to people right. who are homeschooling. What is the Institute for Excellence in Writing? And you can tell from that name that their primary interest is obviously, you know, composition. How did games become a part of, of what they provide? Got it. Okay. I'll go back to that and I'll, but I'll, I'll segue. Um, but, but Julie knew that I, I, I really dig games. I mean, I, 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 um, in looking at your guys' podcast, I definitely saw some things that, um, resonated with me. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that was really, really cool. I didn't know you guys existed until you reached out to us. And so I appreciate you letting me know uh, who you are. So that's, that's kind of exciting. Thank you. Um, and I, I definitely dig the Roman side of things, (laughs) but, um, anyway, so, uh, so that's kind of where, where I came from and kind of how I got involved or how they knew that I'd be maybe a good fit for, for this project. Um, the Institute for Excellence in Writing, you know, we are uh, very, very much interested in equipping parents and, or, I'm sorry, teachers and teaching parents in, um, with, with methods and materials that help them to uh, get their kids writing effectively. We want, them to make, we want to make them confident and competent communicators. And so any methods and materials we can give them um, to do that, that's kind of our goal. That's our, that's our mission. That's what we do. And that's what we excel at. And so um, that's definitely something that resonated with me. And it's part of the reason why I'm working with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I also had done IEW. And so I'd seen the effect of some of the uh, procedural approaches that Andrew utilizes. So you, were, you were trained through the structure and style method in your own education? No, not me personally. Um, okay. this, I, I used it in the sense that I taught it. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I was, understood there. Are you guys familiar with, with uh, classical conversations? I know, yes. I know I'm, going more convers- I'm going more conversational here than, but anyway. Um, so I was involved with classical conversations, um, and we still are actually. My, my family still uh, utilizes uh, classical conversations communities okay. in our, our educational journey. And I was a, because I was a youth pastor, I was able to kind of, you know, manage my own schedule a little bit. And so I was able to be an essentials tutor. I, I tutored, I think, was it three years? I think I tutored. Um, it all kind of merges together there. But, but mm-hmm. for three years, I was able to utilize IEW. And so I saw firsthand, you know, uh, the power of just that kind of easy plus one, little bit by little bit, and, and the growth potential there. Um, in students' writing capacity. I mean, it's, oh, it was, fantastic. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was amazing. And so when the opportunity came to work with IEW, it was, it was um, certainly, I was certainly open to that. So Wonderful. That was pretty cool, yeah. So as far as um, where this game came from and, and, mm-hmm. and how it intersects with the Institute for Excellence in Writing, um, the guy that was actually instrumental in starting the whole story of IEW is a guy named Dr. James Webster. And uh, he is in Canada. He is Canadian. And he, back in World War II, um, he was one of the few teachers, like, in, still in Canada, you know, active in Canada. Everyone else, a lot of other people were, were overseas fighting, you know, and, uh-huh. and he, he wasn't in the military, but he certainly contributed to his culture at that time because he was placed in the classroom with something like 50 kids. I don't know the exact number. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they, they basically threw him in there and they said, thank God you're here. Here you go. And they, and they gave him, you know, this classroom. And he was a young guy. I mean, I don't remember his exact age. He told me at one point, but um, but he was, he was pretty young, you know, just kind of just getting going. 
and um, didn't really know how to manage that many students. And so he had to start thinking really fast, you know, how in the world am I going to help these kids actually learn? And so in the process of, of that journey for him, um, he, he developed, of course, the structure style writing method, which is what IEW utilizes. Definitely check that out, IEW.com, check us out. Um, but there's also, he was very much interested in teaching also um, factual content. And so that was kind of the, the part that didn't intersect with IEW early on, right? I mean, that, that, was, that was the part we didn't really focus on. Dr. Right. Webster did more than just a writing program. He also taught kids factual content in a way that was accessible and in a way that would have a lasting impact intellectually, you know, for okay. them. And, um, and I believe I, I delivered to you a, um, did you, did you read that article? Yes, I did. And I'll be uh, putting a link to that in the show notes. I try to, for anyone who wants to dig in further, I try to keep the notes detailed, but that was a really interesting article. Um, what really struck me writing, uh, reading through it, um, I'll make sure you get a chance. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to look at it. I apologize. <laughs> we have this, no there's, a, there's an old saying, repetition is the mother of memory. And we've long felt, and we, we've been inspired by uh, IEW's poetry memorization program, by um, interest in the Suzuki method and looking into how that works, that we recognize there's the value of repetition and the building of memory through it. But we also saw that criticism that, you know, it's like rote can be mindless, which means that even if you remember the amount you need for it to be remembered is much higher and won't necessarily stick the same way. And so I, I saw that that was the thing that particularly struck me is how do you get repetition and enough repetition to make something stick, but in a way that doesn't act as a mindless kind of thing. Absolutely. Sometimes I, I, there's other contexts where I talk about memorization other than just an IEW. But, you know, one of the things is that, that, that I often will say is, you know, we can make memorization very boring. Mm. I just do not to. You know, you, you can, but, but it's true. I mean, in, in, the, in the history of the world, there have been people who have tried to make memorization a part of their, their educational you know, paradigm. And that's great. But then they, they do it in a way that is just mind numbing and just, you know, painful. Yeah for everyone involved, you know, and, and that's, that's unfortunate. And, and it's also unfortunate that they weren't given some tools that they, that, that could have been utilized that could have made it a lot less painful, you know, a, a lot more painless. Um, and, um, and that's unfortunate because there are ways. Yeah, right. very much so. That was actually, I, I studied uh, language acquisition and it was the same thing that yeah. you can, you can chant a mo, a mas, a mat, and you'll remember it, but you won't necessarily be able to remember that that means I love, you love, he, she, or it loves. That's a complete, that the, if the memorization doesn't connect to its points, then it's just hanging out there in space. You've got what we call in the, the, the I, I'm a software developer by, by profession, um, but it's essentially, it's, it's, it's unindexed data. Yeah. You've got data in the table, but yeah. without it being indexed, it can't be easily accessed and then put to use for decision-making. And I think yeah. to the point of this game, what struck me is that it does use the, the, the gamification of fact memorization, uh, but it helps to keep it in context by grouping all of those pieces together that two facts matching help you to connect one point with another thing that helps make those two facts 
connect. You end up triangulating off of it in order to build that web of knowledge. Absolutely. And so you obviously have read the rest of the material that Dr. Webster provided in that, in, in our, our rule set, that he starts talking about, you know, the philosophy a little bit behind, you know, what he's, what he's doing there. Two bits of information put together that makes a fact. And then if you add another one, on, it, it allows for this kind of mental peg, right? You're, you're able to kind of build this, this construct, this mental construct around an idea that is, is very simple at its core, but as you add more and more, you, you get to see the connections. You get to see how that all works together and how that meshes together. Um, I assume when you say you know what classical conversations is, you know the classical model? That dialectic, right, that, that, that connective uh, capacity allows for real comprehension. Right. Mm-hmm. Knowledge by itself is not worth a whole lot, right? No. It's always there to be used in another context. It's like, you know, you memorize the ABC song, right? What, right. What purpose? Just mm-hmm. so you know it. <laughs> of course you memorize it so you can use it, right? But right. The, the first step is you have to have that memorization. And so if you have those historical facts in play, you have those, those, that capacity to start talking about, wait a second, I hear this name Julius Caesar, and now I have a context, right, to be able to even talk about Julius Caesar. It may not be very much, but my eyes don't glaze over because I know I have some semblance of what you're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I just went on a soapbox, didn't I? I think I went on a tangent. It's there. fine. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's a soapbox we're off and on, so we're very <laughs> sympathetical. Oh, very very, yes, yes. Other people <laughs> see it. Absolutely. And, and particularly with history, I think that as much as people will denigrate, you know, dismissing history is more than just memorizing names and dates. It's like, it's well, gotta start there. you have to have a framework to hang off all of those ideas. And you can't talk about the impact of the Punic Wars if you don't know who the parties were and what happened and when. What's a Punic? What is right. that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was wondering that. I was like, yeah, I mean, I heard of him, but I never knew. It's like, what is that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you absolutely have to have a context. And if you have that context, even a little bit, you can start talking about it. I mean, I understand every word you say, but, I, but I'm tracking and I, I'm starting to understand how it relates to, to the content that we're, we're discussing at that moment. Mm-hmm. That is, that is, it's pretty neat what, what memorization can do in providing that context. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that impressed me when we first started playing out Matched Ancient History was how our youngest ones who still can't read could at least as the rounds progress, start making the connections of the icons with the events. And so they were making the connections, even if they didn't necessarily, they couldn't read the cards. But we were able to play the gameplay so fast that it was like, oh, let's do another one and another one and another one. And so the kids didn't realize we're sitting here spending two hours drilling history facts. And that's exactly what we did, having a good time. And we came away with even the, the, the I mean, Xander was what, four? four at the time. Yeah, I think he was four when we got this last year and started playing it. Um, he came away with at least, you know, a, a, an ability to, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you gave one of the, the prompts, he could at least connect it within the context of the game. And so at some point, as he gets older and we keep reviewing this stuff in wider context, that peg's already there to build on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really fascinating to watch and wholly unexpected. I mean, I know they learn like that. It's another thing to watch it happen in front of your eyes over the course of 120 minutes. Yeah. Totally. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I think the one, one of the brilliant things that Dr. Webster did, you know, he was very intentional about that say to play. You saw that over and over again in the rules, you know, say to play, say to play. And, and clearly there's another con, convert, conversation that could be had for people who are, you know, are, are, have hearing uh, issues, you know, that, that'd be a different, different conversation. But in general, the idea that I hear that, you know, the kids that can't read, they can hear it, right. you know, and, and they're able, they're still able to track with what you're doing. And what I thought was one thing that was, I thought was particularly brilliant was the idea that when someone messes up, you're supposed to read the card again. I, I guess maybe for your listeners sake, you know, when you have these cards, you read them out loud, right? You, you read uh, out loud what, what it says on there, you know, Julius Caesar, uh, you know, Roman um, uh, dictator, 44 BC died, you know, wh whatever it is on there. I can't remember the exact content on there, but uh, you read that out loud. And then there's supposed to be a matcher for that, right? They read that out loud. Right. And, uh, and, and if, it, if it's correct match, great. You get, you get the points for it. But if it's incorrect, you're still supposed to read out loud the correct matcher, right? By reading that content out loud, the student still, even, even the, 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 even the non-reader hears that. And, and the very fact that they messed up on it puts it in the memory, you know, stronger. Right. Than it would be otherwise. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. no one's going to mess up on that one next time. They're yeah. going to know that Julius Caesar, you know, died 44 BC because Brutus, you know, stabbed him or whatever. There was, there was one of those that I remember being surprised by. Now I can't remember which one it was, but I had that experience just for myself that it was yeah. like, oh, I'll know all of these. And no, there were a couple that, that surprised me. And I was like, oh, I got that one wrong. All right. Well, you know, the rules say we read it out. So we read it out and I didn't get that one wrong again. And neither did the rest of the kids. But what, what made me think of that is both of us have a theatrical background. We were um, uh, drama majors uh, in school. And when you learn a script, which is massive amounts of memorization, I mean, yeah. there were periods of time where at least for a period, we could probably have recited most of Macbeth by memory, which sounds really impressive. But all it is is you're sitting there every night hearing the entire thing and whenever someone stumbles over a line and you have to read out to someone the correct line you don't just know your lines you know everyone else's lines around them you just to know your cue and to expect what's coming well in my case i was light i was a light designer for that production of macbeth so i had to know the whole show so that when the director said at this line this is the lighting effect i want i didn't have to go look it up i had to know the whole show in order to do it. And, and I think that was a saving grace, my involvement in theater, because I know I was going through like middle school and high school during the nadir of any kind of openness to memory work in mm. public and private schools here in the US. But I ended up involved in theater um, and I ended up involved in martial arts. And in martial arts, we had a lot of physical forms we had to memorize. And when I got out of martial arts, I got into dance. I was ba dancing ballet and jazz on top of all this theater work. And so having to memorize vast blocks of text, having to memorize physical movement patterns gave me that skill set at a time when I wouldn't have gotten it in just had I just stayed in the, the, the schooling groove I was in, even for some of the really remarkable schools I went to. Mm -hmm. But I've, I in particular thought that you know, it's one thing to have memorized it. It's another when you have a correction that that correction almost mm -hmm. burns it into the memory more of, I do not want to miss that one again. That's six points I, I could have had. There are dance steps I can still do 25 years later because I screwed them up so badly in rehearsal that I had to do them over and over again hundreds of times to get them right. Mm -hmm. Right. So. I, yeah, I think there's a couple cool. of musical pieces that I could probably. <laughs> With your violin, yes. yes. Because she was a violinist as well, so 
And again, there are elements of, of Andrew's story that resonated with us when we first discovered IEW. It's like, oh, here's someone who's saying things that, that, that we think are important, so we're going to make use of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as, as he's elaborated, how much of that came from Dr. Webster, um, it, it's, it, it's really an incredible tale in its own right. Absolutely. So I'm looking at my list of what I wanted to cover, and I think we've got the origins of the, of the game a bit, and we've definitely started to get into how it's used to enrich the study of history. So mm-hmm. this game was used in Dr. Webster's classrooms, but obviously there were lectures and other things. So this becomes a kind of way of drill to Abs- make sure that you're remembering those key points and names and things. Absolutely. So yeah, he definitely would. <laughs> that's a great cue. Um, he definitely would lecture on these con- this content prior to playing the game. That's what he would do. Okay. When, and 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 in general, you've got to have some context uh, to play Outmatched, as you already know. You know, I mean, Outmatched. If you try to play it without context, you're going to be in for kind of a painful experience the first time. Um, you, it's not that you can't do it. You can, it's just, we, we, we've, te- we've tested it in multiple ways. I mean, and that's, it just doesn't, it doesn't fly very well. You, you at least need to read the matchers, you know, the matching content, but what he right. would do, he actually initiated, um, that whole process by talking about the Romans or talking about, and he used that content that he wanted to show them on those cards, um, as, as, as the kind of, I guess, I don't know if he used them as notes per se, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that would be a, a poor choice, uh, basically using those as notes to say, Hey, here's who this guy is, you know, who Julius Caesar is and, and what happened with Brutus and why did Cassius, you know, whatever. And so you're able to talk about those kinds of things. And then when the students are, are playing their cards, they have an instant context as they're, as they're drilling as well, right? It, it goes both ways. You have the, the lecture that, that, uh, influences and gives context to the memorization and, and, and vice versa, you know, mm-hmm. both directions. So that's definitely what he did. Uh, so the students had some idea what they were looking at. Mm-hmm. I think the first deck that we played was after we had just wrapped up our Egypt course. Yes. And Egypt proved to be really good because there were lots of elements of it that were at least familiar and mm-hmm. and there'd be those moments of they'd look at a they'd look at a card and it's like I should know this. I remember listening to Dr. Breyer talk about this. I should know this. Uh, short plug uh, the, the teaching company's got a series on on Egyptian history, which is, is fantastic. Is fantastic, and the kids loved it. But having been freshly off of that series, we were then going through, and it's like you don't have to remember the name of every pharaoh in every dynasty, but you should know who Hatshepsut is. You should know who Ramses the Second is. Um, if you've at least had a, a an introduction to those topics, mm-hmm. and that right. was the thing is right after we played the Egypt hands so successfully i got really cocky and said let's do mesopotamia (laughs) that was not as as uh, that did not as well i think that's what inspired us to say we probably need to study that one a little (laughs) bit more deeply yeah very true very true because again we discovered very quickly that we didn't have enough context even as adults to help guide the kids into that yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I could probably still wing it with Greece and Rome, even without too much review. It really hammered home for us that providing that context, even in summary for the kids, is going to be essential to them staying out of the frustration zone where learning stops. And in that area where you're just stressed enough to learn and still have fun. 
Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for, for us, that's a huge, huge point is how do you calibrate that? Um, that, and, that easy plus one. Right. And that if it's easy plus one, it's just enough challenge that they keep on stretching and growing. You don't want to have the mental equivalent of going to the gym and tearing a muscle. Right. And you that's why you have to have yeah, and that's why you need to have a context for this game specifically, but for a lot of games, you know, to, to yes. have that kind of context in starting it, you know, so there doesn't need to be an introduction of some kind. Um, and, and whether it's reading the match content, you know, the, the, the study sheets, whether it's reading the, the, you know, which card matches which, or if you're actually going on, that sounds like, it sounds like you guys had a great study, you know, initially. Oh, yeah. that sounds really, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued, but um, <laughs> that's, that's fantastic because it gives that context and they're able to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I wanted to know, one of the things we've noticed is that, you know, to keep things in the fun zone, it's really good to know how making sure that you're not just shoving, you know, let's do, you know, the history of Israel without having ever done an in-depth study. If you get it in, you know, snippets, you're not going to be able to remember in what order things happened, when or where, or, you know, at what point did the Assyrians come in? All of that is very much something that's you, you need to have that information so knowing that you need preamble you need to have context to play it effectively um what other things sort of need to be good prerequisites for effective play um like we we've mentioned that our our preliterate children can play it but without being able to read the card there's a lot more of the i want to play this card but i don't even know if i've got the right one going on there. yeah so would we would you say that making sure that they've got the skill of reading beforehand would be a, a necessary starting point. I, I wouldn't say it's necessary because, because as you've seen, non-readers can, can play, but you need to understand the limitations, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because, because the, the reading does, <laughs> you're not going to be crying. You know what I mean? Like right. it, it, it could be a frustration point. It certainly could be a frustration point for those who are non-reading. Um, and some of those words, let's be honest, we're talking about like ancient, um, you know, peoples and ancient personalities, uh, ancient legends, there, there can be some names in there that are, that are, are mouthfuls and can yes. be, you've evidently experienced. What's that? Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar being a, you know, a, a good example. And, and then yeah. there's of course the fun of running into words that you may have heard before, but having them spelled out and there you, the, the logic behind the word, a word like archipelago is not right. going to I was in my 20s before she corrected my pronunciation of archipelago. <laughs> I, I, you know, and somehow, even with, with little Latin and less Greek, it, it hadn't occurred to me to change how I pronounced that in English. <laughs> but even with, but even with a, a student that is able to read, mm -hmm. you're going to run into this, right? And one thing that Andrew does consistently when he's doing writing classes or when he runs to vocabulary, if he runs into one as he's reading, and, and that's, that's one reason, again, why I'm going, to I'm going to encourage people to read the cards themselves and, and which match which. We actually have things called study sheets. Sometimes they're called match content, um, but that, that show which cards match which ones. Read those ahead of time out loud to the students. And if you encounter a word that is a little bit, you know, like archipelago, that'd be a really good example. You might say, wait, what's an archipelago? I mean, it's an opportunity for that vocabulary development that is so key, even in the read aloud kind of stuff you talk about with, you know, Sarah McKenzie and, and I got, uh, Andrew talks about that uh, in the Nurturing Competent Communicators, you know, talk. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, which if you want me to- very influential for us. What's that? That was a very influential talk for us. Uh, that and the 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 um, teaching boys and others who'd rather be building forts all day. Those were the first two 
pieces that he had done that I encountered 10 years ago. Um, I think I was hanging out on the well-trained mine boards once a, you know, a long time ago. I haven't been there in, in a long time, but those were two pieces where I remember listening to those audio uh, recordings and thinking, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's talking about things that I think are important in a way that's important. And I needed to share it with her. And then we started building what we did around that. Yeah. So Absolutely. So let me go ahead and send you a couple links. I'd like to send you Nurturing Compass Communicators uh, by Andrew Pudua. And I'll also send you the link for uh, your listeners to listen to that for free, as well as Teaching Boys uh, for free. So I, I have those links, and I'm going to go ahead and send those to you. Um, and you guys, if you, if you guys want to include those, you're, you're more than welcome to do so. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. So I, th I think that that probably covers most of what I was thinking. Actually, I did think of one thing from my experience of keeping everything in the fun zone. So I have this this track record of of having with games the equivalent of buying IKEA furniture and starting to assemble it before looking at the directions. <laughs> so we, I have learned that the first thing that you have to do is I like the quick start guide. Yeah. But I have a but I have to read the whole thing because if I decide to just like dive in, I will inevitably miss some key part of the rules. <laughs> Absolutely. And you saw that it outmatched. Oh yeah. 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 It's there there's there's inevitably that moment where you're where you're into the game and you run into that wall. It's like, I I don't know how to adjudicate this. Right. And what rewatching the video, I'm definitely including a link to the how to play because elements of the what do you do when the wrong match ends up on the board. It's like, okay, well, you read it aloud and that one goes out of play and that's good to know because otherwise just like, I have anyone's got Yeah, it. I know the first few times we played through, we just like kept them all active and someone eventually claimed them and and that caused some hurt feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Understandably. So it's, I, I definitely give the, it's good to know, you know, what you need from your students. It's also good to know from your end as a teacher, know the rules. Right. Read through the rules. Watch a playthrough of it. It's not that hard of a game, but it's always helpful to know. Make sure you understand how to adjudicate so that you're not stumbling around in the midst of the gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some points that we have at the end of that. And I think on that website that you're going you're gonna to be linking as well, there's some, some points from Dr. Webster you know, on how to use it in a classroom. Um, you know, to, to get those repetitions, you know, he, he targets 55 repetitions for lifetime right. mastery. Um, that's, that's kind of his big, you know, his big number that he would shoot for. Cause that's what Anna Ingham, his, his aunt would go for. And, and, and there's some research to indicate that, but, um, he would always target that, that 55. And so, you know, you can imagine playing 55 of those games. You guys, you guys have experienced, I mean, that's, you know, pretty well, you know, by yeah. the end of that. Yeah, you will. You'll and know it cold. That actually makes a lot of sense. I did a, a language workshop for teaching foreign languages and it was noting that the way that languages, foreign languages are often taught in classrooms, you just don't get anywhere near enough repetition of the words. And it went, took a different approach of using storytelling and a lot of circling back. And so you're, you're having this very repetitive conversation of, yes, the girl has a problem. Oh, the girl has a problem. What does the girl have the problem? But by the end of the session, conversation, there yeah. are several words that you understand in context and right. that are starting to, but that, that repetition becomes really necessary. And yeah, 55, I could imagine that by the time you've played through a deck that many times, 
Well, it's certainly more manageable than the 10,000 hour threshold that gets bandied about because of Malcolm Gladwell's book. So mm-hmm. 55 repetitions is, is manageable for normal people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. And less of a number of, of, of class hours that you probably spend on, on something per year. I mean, even if you're tackling the entire ancient world in one year, right? that's, that's still manageable. That's that's yeah. st- the, the game doesn't take that long to play, and if you played it as part of a daily thing, you could probably get that fifty-five repetitions over the course of a school year easily. easily. You could. So now there is one caveat: um, the way that he manages it. That's the, and you'll notice in the game it has eight different decks, eight different cultures, or in, in some sense subcultures, because it's kind of the, the fall of Rome, and there's, you know, so so there's there's some crossover on some of those. Um, but one of the reasons why he has different ones is because when you play a deck about eight times, and, and when we've done the playtesting, it's gone over and over and over again. It's been about eight times, sometimes nine, but generally about eight. The, it becomes mechanical. It becomes no longer fun. I, I wouldn't say it's not fun. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it actually kind of loses its fun because everyone's so good at it. There's, it's not really a game anymore, mm-hmm. right? Okay. It, it becomes an exercise. At that moment, at that point, put that deck away and now pick up a new one for eight. Then go back to the first one for four, right? And it becomes mechanical again. You, you, at first you forget and you're like, oh, hey, what was that, Julius Caesar, what, you know? But then, then, you, then four times, then it becomes mechanical again. Then you go to a new deck, eight, then four, then four. You know, and, and you, you keep working through this whole thing. So yes, it's true. If you did one deck 55 times, first off, your kids would hate you. But secondly, mm-hmm. uh, would, you would know it cold, but it really does need to be broader than that. So while I agree with you, that 55 could easily be done in a school year, um, it may be a larger project to go through the whole eight decks at 55 times a pop, you know, yes. which 440. But, but I, I like the idea of that, that yeah. pyramiding down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and looking at the, uh, the way we've done it, we did like Egypt and then into Greece. And so if you're doing cycling through the Egypt and the Greece and you've actually got that Greco Roman mm-hmm. and, you've got a number of decks that even if you're working with more granular levels of study, you've got a number of decks that work around that. And then I noticed that with the medieval um, set that- Which we, we don't have yet. But are planning to, right. because we'll, we'll be coming up on that soon enough. Yes. <laughs> um, actually, I did have a question about that. So we've, there is the ancient world deck and, uh, set of decks and there is the medieval decks. Are there plans for other periods of history? At some point, there I, I'm sure there will be. We've we've stayed we've stayed with these right now, um, but there is uh, very much a possibility of moving into other other territories. Okay. Um, a lot right. of these kind of have been have been um, going along with our theme based, um, you know, history based history. The, the theme based the 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 history based theme mm-hmm. books that support the structure and style method. I Ancient forget what they're technically called. Yeah, yeah. Going yeah, on. I'm, I'm, I'm planning writing. to do the 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 ancient We've history got the ancient writing one. writing with with two of my my boys this year who are at the B level writing, right. and so it integrates beautifully that you know we're studying ancient Rome, we're doing ancient history based writing, and they did Greece last year and Rome this year, so there's lots of familiar characters and stories that Absolutely. they're going to be encountering, and we've got the card games that all integrate in, and so. And I think a lot of the read-alouds and sort of literature we'll be tackling this year will be based in in that time period. So you start to see how all the pieces of the puzzle come together where you can say, okay, 
my writing is covering this time period. My history study is covering, covering this time period. We have games that we play that, that support help, this, that help to reinforce it. And so by the end of the year, they ought to know who Aeneas is and they yeah. ought to know who Julius Caesar is. We hope. We hope. <laughs> and, and they'll know, and they'll know several facts about him. It, right. It's not just that, you know, they, it's not just a, just a, a little general idea. I'm like, they actually can say some specific things about that guy. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. And then have intelligent conversations because they've got those facts and they've got that network of data that they've been able to attach to those anchor facts. And all of a sudden you do have a web of knowledge that they can carry forward as just part of the mental furniture yeah. that they'll take with them the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Furnishing the mind, man. I love it. <laughs> so to answer your question, we don't have a solid timeline on future editions. Uh, has it been discussed? Oh, yes. I mean, yes, there, there's definitely been discussion in that, in that vein. We've, we just have to allocate resources where we can. And right now, our, our eggs are in, are in different baskets right now. We just can't, mm-hmm. can't do that particular part of it. So. We understand how game development works. There's always the idea of you can definitely see where it can go, but yeah. you have to get... <laughs> well, there's there's got to be the market, and there's got to be the capital to fund it. Well, we, and, it's, and it's one channel within a host of other business decisions that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we, we, we play enough resource management games and, and, in, and even yes. in our own life here with, with this little podcast, it's like, you know, we've got this thing we want to run off and do, and we've got this other thing we want to run off and do. It's like, and I still have to teach my children and keep meals on the table. So Absolutely. there's, there's only so many things you can do at a time, no matter what your situation in life is. No, that makes sense. But definitely we'll keep an eye out to see if other ones come up down the road and in the meantime I'll definitely include links to the games because this is one that we think is it's there are other games that we play that we love but we recognize not everyone's a hardcore war gamer Um, but just about anyone can play a game that's memory based and it's going to support what they're doing in 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 studying a history curriculum Uh, so with that I think that probably covers what we wanted to ask is there anything else that you would like to add or um, is there social media so that people can keep abreast of what IEW is up to? Absolutely. They can, get, they can find us on facebook.com forward slash excellence in writing, all one word. And, uh, you know, that's our Facebook group. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. So there's, there's plenty of social opportunities there. Um, I do like what you said, you know, that there's, there's uh, it's certainly a different kind of game. It's, you know, it's not, there's, there's hardcore war gamers. There's, you know, uh, all, all manner of board games and, and, and all kinds of genres out there. Um, and Outmatch really kind of is more akin to a learning party game. I, I think yeah. it'd probably be a good way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's definitely different. I do have a question. Have you guys looked at the other downloadable content, like the other games, the, the geography games and that kind of stuff? No. See, Check. I learned about that today going through the unboxing. So this is a case of I should make a point when I buy a product from IAW to know that they never just send you the product. There's a dozen other things attached. You guys go check it out. Yes. Is, is that what's referenced at accessing your downloads? Yes, there's. I the, should know by now. <laughs> yeah, so there's geography and vocabulary games. Geography is something we love, and you know, part of the reason we love a lot of our ancient war games is the maps. You you will never forget where the geography of the Aegean once you've. You spent yeah. six weeks playing games set in the Peloponnesian War or something like sure. that. Yeah, and, and Dr. Webster, one thing that he said specifically about that, he said, you know, history doesn't make sense apart from geography. You yeah, know, he, very he, true. He's a big very proponent true. of geography. So that was one of the things that he absolutely wanted was this geography game. So check those out because um, 
and the way that he built those particular games, they're a little bit different than the general outmatched games. Um, and there's, there's rules for that downloadable, you know, with, with that set. Um, they're very, I think they're a lot of fun. Um, and they're very intriguing. And when, and when you start understanding, uh, you know, ancient geography at the level that he's teaching it, it's just, it's phenomenal for your, your comprehension of, of talking about ancient history. It's phenomenal. Excellent. Very yeah. We definitely so. have to do that then. Yeah. I did, didn't know about them. Now I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing is half the battle. Absolutely. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you very much for your time. It was, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. You too. Laura and Chris, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you much. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's interview and are interested in checking out Outmatched. We'd also like to invite you to contact us. Let us know if you have any stories about playing Outmatched or any other memory type games that you enjoy or that your kids enjoy. You can reach us. Laura, tell our listeners how they can reach us. Yes, you can write to us at playedpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at playedpod. You can also follow our Facebook page, playedpodcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. Have a great one. Bye. As long as I speak into the mic, we're good. Well, yeah, it usually helps when you speak into the mic. Yes. Sometimes it helps if you get right on top of it. Well, there is that too. Let's restart that one. We definitely need to restart that one. You're rambling all over the damn place. All righty. Do you have any idea what you're trying to say? That was scripted for a different topic. That's part of your problem. You're not writing scripts for each episode. That is true.